Welcome to Authentic Jewish Living with Yiska, our journey into finding our own authentic expressions within the Jewish tradition. This indeed unfolds the path to encounter the divine within each one of us. As always, I hope that today's episode will help you understand that authentic living in fact is a spiritual practice and that authentic living is essential to the Jewish way of living. Shalom, everyone. Welcome, Baruchot Habaot, Baruchim Habaim. This month's conversation, as with all, will highlight the diversity, the dynamic texture, and varied landscape that expresses and honors authentic Jewish living. I will be in conversation today with a special and unique personality in the Jewish world whose voice needs to be heard must be heard by many, by all people who seek inspiration, encouragement, and support to be true and faithful to their inner selves. With excitement, with joy, with so much gratitude, I am honored today to be in conversation with Rabbi Dr. Reb Mimi Feigelson. Miriam Sarah Feigelson, a dear friend, a teacher of mine who has taught me so much. We go back uh, 30 years, I think about 30 years. 30 years. Uh, what a zechut, what a blessing and a source of gratitude to be in conversation with you today. Rabbi Dr. Reb Mimi Feigelson is the first ordained female Orthodox rabbi post-Shoah. She is a senior lecturer in Talmud and Hasidut at the Schechter Institutes, an international teacher of Hasidut and Jewish spirituality, and a storyteller. Reb Mimi offers spiritual guidance and mentoring, specializing in death and mourning and other life transition periods. Reb Mimi formed and created as an Israeli modern Haredi Hasidic rabbi the role of the Mashpia Ruchanit, spiritual mentor, in non-Orthodox rabbinical seminaries in the United States since 2001 and in Yerushalayim since her return in the summer of 2017. Prior to Los Angeles, Reb Mimi was the Associate Director of Yakar Institute for Tradition and Creativity and Director of the Women's Beit HaMidrash. She was adjunct faculty at the Ma'aleh Film College and published regularly in the Haaretz Literary Supplement. Reb Mimi's forthcoming book, oh, and I can't wait to acquire a copy, and I hope you'll sign it, <laughs> Reb Mimi's forthcoming book, On the Cusp of Life, From Scared to Sacred, is an exploration and redefinition of Jewish funerals. She is the blessed and proud soul mother and grandmother 
to over a dozen children. Wow. Reb Mimi, my dear friend, that's a lot. You are busy. Well, we did a lot of work together 30 years ago. Uh, We learned well together. uh, Yes. um, This is wonderful. Yes. And the world has been a very fruitful um, pod of soil for me to grow in. Wow. Very grateful. Very grateful for partners along the way that have Mm. helped me and learned with me and walked with me. You've been one of my uh, most important teachers. Yes. So before we dive into my traditional uh, four questions, Manishtanaha podcast, as I'm Nicola podcasting. Okay, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, referring back to this beautiful, multifaceted, so many dimensional level um, uh, bio, due to the current world situation, however, we see that with Corona, with COVID, with this, with that, the unexpected, is there anything in particular? within your bio that you are emphasizing or that you feel an extra calling to cultivate? Is there something you're doing, especially now because of the world situation? Well, I think, um, first of all, truly the gift of being here is beyond words. It's unbelievable. I always say that the dreams that God dreams for us are so much greater than the dreams we dream for ourselves. And then we have moments in our life that we can open our eyes and know that we're experiencing. A dream that God dreamt for us. So this is definitely a moment where we're living a dream that God dreamt for us. And I'm grateful to be back in your home in Yerushalayim. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. And it's a true gift. And God willing, everyone who hears our conversation will also merit to be held in, in this divine space. Amen. Uh, that being said, I feel... Uh, as a general statement... I don't like making general statements, but... <laughs> And if demanded, asked, requested, I feel that in many ways, um, what what Corona or COVID, depending on where in the world you are right now, um, and if you want to feel the weight or the honor of it, or you want to feel the shine of it, then it'll be Corona or COVID, and based on Kirin or Kavod, and the word for shine or for um, illumination in Hebrew, or honor, respect, or weight, weightiness, um, and I'm sure there are a lot of Torah to be written on why in Israel it's called Corona and why in the outside world it's called COVID. Yes, I, I noticed that. I noticed. So that. I think that's you know I ask myself it's a if it's a personality it's a national question what's the difference and what what does one feel when they say Corona versus COVID, and and that's also and that's also true. Um, so there's a way in which I feel that what. COVID or Corona have offered us um, as a gift is um, the demand to not run away from the big questions that we normally run away from. I don't think it's different questions. I think, though, that now we have an obligation or we're forced to actually sit with them and respond to them. Mm. So in some way, I want to say, I don't think I'm asking different questions of myself. That being said, I feel that I'm given the time and the space, and um, I'm given a time which is pregnant to open these questions. And I, since the beginning of, of, of this period, which seems almost endless, I continuously pray two prayers every morning. And one is to come out of it other than how I went into it. 
And the other is to um, learn to ask the right questions. Because I always believe that questions are what keep us together and answers are where we separate and divide. But we share our questions. The answers are individual and unique. Mm. The questions are what we share. We share the questions. How we answer them are unique. Correct. So our, in our questions, we come together. In our, in, our, in our answers, we separate out into each one of us into the, way, the walk we're meant to be walking. That being said, uh, the Meashiloh, the Ishbitzer Rebbe, who lived in, in Ishbitzah in the first half of the 19th century, was one of my personal uh, most significant teachers that I walk with daily. Uh, he takes a step forward on the concept of the three mitzvot that are Bechinati Harig Ba'aliyavo. So we all have three mitzvot that we are bound to and are, are demanded to sacrifice our lives in order to fulfill them. Right, idolatry, adultery, and um, shedding blood. And this is in the backdrop that all the other mitzvot we would transgress in order to save our lives. Correct. Okay. Correct. Thank you. The Ishbitzer Rebbe, the Meshiloch, is the name of his book and his teachings. And often Hasidic masters they lose their name once they have a book. <laughs> right. So I'm a little bit scared to put out the. I'll put out my book because they're going to call me sacred or they're scared. I don't know which one they're going to call me. So I'm holding back on the book for that reason, right? Someone goes, oh, the sacred one. And there's one, oh, the scared one. I'm holding back a little bit. Um, That's beautiful. That being said, that Ishbitzer Rebbe, the Mashiach, he says that actually each one of us has a fourth commandment. We all share the three that we are meant to sacrifice our life in order to not transgress versus all the other mitzvot that we have the mandate to actually transgress in order to save our lives. He says we each have a unique fourth. And it's part of our work to unfold what that fourth mitzvah is. In my life, I've come to believe that... Which is different for each person? Different from each person. Oh. He says, we're, you know, here in, here in Yerushalayim, we had a three-day Purim. <laughs> And we're, we're coming out of this marathon. And he gives the example of Mordechai. He said, why didn't Mordechai bow to Haman? There was no reason for him not to bow. It wasn't about idolatry. He said for Mordechai, that was his fourth mitzvah. And that's why he was willing to give his life for it. For me, I've come over the years to understand in my work, and if I'm wrong, I hope God forgives me, and if I'm right, then I hope that it's accepted, my actions are accepted as a gift. The mitzvah that I walk with most uh, prominently in my life is the mitzvah of Hashavat Avidah, of returning lost objects. And I actually did, um, this past week, a book came out of Torah Chayim. It's a group of Orthodox rabbis and educators, primarily rabbis, of, um, and a book dedicated to teachings connected to COVID. And it's available on Amazon. And it's available on Amazon. And all the proceedings go to charity. All the proceedings go to tzedakah. Of course, the joke of living in Yerushalayim is that when you order the book on Amazon, the shipping costs more than the book. So, <laughs> so all of a sudden, a totally reasonably priced book giving some money to tzedakah has become an investment in Amazon stocks. <laughs> but hey, it's going to arrive, and that's the most important thing. And in this, in, in this collection, I actually wrote an article on Hashavat Avidah and COVID. And when my soul was in the lost and found, 
reclaiming which COVID has claimed. And for me, that has been a lot of the work, and that's the work that I offer my students and my friends to work with. There's, um, there's a way in which we can claim this time, and we can claim the work that needs to be done, and, and, and claim that which is ours. And I want to say there are certain things that no one or no situation can take from us. Mm. So there are certain elements that no one has to surrender those core elements in their reality, in their personality, in their persona, in their life to COVID. Sometimes it means we need to redefine those elements in order for them to continue to grow. But that's like no different than turning a pot around so it gets access to sun from different angles. Exactly. So for me, that has been a core piece of my, my own personal journey and what I try to remind people that we have... Um, in an invitation to really see and address that which is core to who we are and to not let go of it. I'm also not a big fan of the word loss. Um, I like lost and found as a pair, as a couple. Even when a person leaves the world, the phrase that I use is cross over. I will never, if you ever hear the, the phrase, I'm sorry for your loss, you know it's my twin sister and, and we don't, haven't seen each other, and, right? Meaning to say, I don't, I, I would never say that sentence. When a person, when their soul and their body um, separate, they don't cease to be. They cease to be in the structure in which we are familiar with. But our communication stays and remains and their presence stays and remains. Mm. So they're not lost. They're never lost. I actually say, you know, they're not lost, they're not late. <laughs> actually, they're on time and they're everywhere. So they're not lost and they're not late. And maybe today, people, you're helping people discover parts of them that have been concealed. Yes. And you're helping them claim that. And sometimes we don't, we don't know. Um, we don't know until at times we meet someone who mirrors a part of us that we couldn't see. Because our eyes move, look forward, right? And the irony is of our face, the only part of our, our face that we can actually see with our two eyes is our nose. But when we do that, we become crossed eyes and crossed eyed. And on the one hand, what it means is we can actually see the source of breath by looking at our nose. But when we do that, it closes us off from the world. Because when we look at our nose, the only thing we can see is our nose, and we lose our peripheral vision to the world. Mm. Therefore, we need relationship. We need interaction. We need other people to be our mirrors so that we can see the parts of ourselves that we don't see. Thank God that's part of the work that you're doing. You're helping people connect. Well, I feel, you know, every question that I'm asked is a question that I need to be asking myself. Otherwise, someone wouldn't be asking me that question. Nachon, nachon, yes. Yes, each one mirrors the other. Right, yeah. there's a reason why they're asking me the questions that they're asking versus the questions that your students ask you or right. students ask both of us or our colleagues. So I'm going to ask you four questions okay. now. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to ask amazing. you four questions. Amazing, right? amazing, amazing, well, amazing. Thank you for that segue into the uh, four questions. So the first question is, within a Jewish framework... How do you understand the phrases authentic living, 
living my truth, inner integrity. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So here I'm going to actually, how's that for an opening? I'm going to put our friendship to a test. Okay. <laughs> okay. How's that? Because I actually don't use the word authentic. Okay. I want to start with that. Um, I don't use the word authentic. And what my, what are my other options? Authentic, true, living my truth. Yes. And or yes, inner integrity. Okay, living my truth, inner integrity. Okay. Um. So, um, I guess the word that I need in that question is the word God. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Please, the, <laughs> so, this is your time, your uh, answer. So, <laughs> oh, what, I feel, what I feel a piece of my work in the world is, or the gift that I've been given um, and asked to bring into the world, is, is to talk about God mm. and to use that word a lot. God-centered, God-ordained, um, God, an invitation from God... It's a really, it's an important... And God consciousness. God consciousness, thank you. God consciousness. So I'd be happy, God consciousness, right? Um, and I use different names. One and only, Divine Mother, Sacred, Spirit, Kuchabrihu, Shrinte, Ima Ila'a, right? One and only, Divine Mother, Ribbono Sholam. And sometimes George, sometimes Georgina. Sometimes when we're on a first name basis, <laughs> sometimes it's George, sometimes it's Georgina. And by doing that, I also invite people to ask themselves, what, are, what is the name that they're comfortable with? Not only that, I also have a practice that every year I pick another name of the divine to live with for the year. It's mm, marvelous. So it could be... It's marvelous. Diana Almanot, the redeemer, the judger of, right, of, of widows. It could be... Um, El Emuna for a year was the god of, of belief, the god that believes in us. And every year during uh, the week of the 10 days of Slichot, at the end of the Slichot prayer, the part that repeats itself every day, every day, they're like pages of different names of the divine. Different names. And every year I pick a name to be my focal point and my, 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 um, my I want to say my home base that tells me and promises me to not get lost. Mm. And that's the name I come back to. And each, t each year I feel that it's a vibration and a reverberation of a different part of, of myself. So, and then I want to say, there's such a plethora of names there. We have the God that answered Abraham, the God that answered Eliyahu, the God that answered Chavakuk, the God that answered Mordechai Esther, the God that answered Misha'ana. And then we have Anenu Bo'enu, Anenu Go'alenu, Anenu Dorshenu, Anenu Ha'ila Moshiach. Answer us, the God that, that redeems us, the answer, the God that brings us salvation. Avinu Malkenu. Avinu Malkenu. Imenu Malkatenu. Imenu Malkatenu. As well. So... For me, the question is going to be, where are we partnering with God? And how does that partnership with God manifest in the world? And what are the names of the divine that we want 
to, to garment ourselves with, to wrap ourselves with. So that's the, that's the question I ask. And I feel people are very, at times, uncomfortable with God talk. And I also like to say, uh, sometimes on a joke level, I once said something, and my mother, God bless her, for the Leabat Miriam, she mamash, mamash, David, she mamash, mamash needs health and healing right now in a significant way. I once said something. I said that I, the way I told her that I didn't want to live in the world without her was I said to her, I said, you know, the day after you go, I'm also going to go. <laughs> and we're on the phone together, and she says to me, she says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, Im, because I call her Im, because Im or Eames, my, all my friends call her Eames, because Eames is like two syllables, Eames is one, right? Eames is one. So I said, sure, Eames, what? She says, have you shared that with anyone? And I said, no, why? She says, can you do me a favor? I said, of course, what? She says, don't talk no. stupid in public. She says, don't talk stupid in public. <laughs> So I said, I said, I'm a rav, I'm a rabbi, I get paid to talk stupid in public. So, <laughs> so what I want to say is actually, right, on a joke level, but on a serious level, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I have no idea. And each name and each title that I use is my attempt to unfold and unravel that which I don't know. So... You know, what you're saying uh, so reminds me of this teaching, and it's so fortuitous that it's right now between Purim and Pesach, in Rav Cook's Hakdamah to his Perush in Olatra Ayah on the Haggadah Shal Pesach, he asks, what's the difference between a person who's enslaved and a person who's free? And he says, a Ben Chorin, a free person is a person who is Ne'aman, I love that word, is faithful to one's inner self which is the peace of God in whom he was created, the Tzalem within each one of us. Right. And by you giving different names to this Tzalem this image of God in whom we've been created, you've just expanded the, the, what this consciousness or what this spiritual practice is, is I'm being faithful to, I'm, culting, I'm cultivating fidelity to, this name, or that name, or this name. All of it, though, is this piece inside of me that is God. Or trying it on. Or, or you yeah. know, there was a year that I held on to a, a name for two years because I wasn't done with the work. Wow. I wasn't done with the work. You know, I, have a, I had a student. I, have had, I haven't seen her many years. When her first son was born, uh, the bleat was on Thursday. And on Friday morning, I get a phone call from her hysterical right. and she says to me it's not his name I said what she says Reb Mimi it was clear that it was a boy he was going to be named after so and so and that's the name we gave him yesterday it's not his name I woke up this morning and I'm looking at him and it's not his name so she changed it so I said tomorrow morning Shabbat morning called up to the Torah and have his name changed that's it. So sometimes, right, we're so fixed in a certain perception, in a certain understanding, in a certain name, in a certain title, in a certain claim, that we get locked into it. And you're suggesting there's a fluidity. Correct. And, and, and I even want to say on a, on, a, on, a, on a ridiculously personal note, right, um, every time someone says, and every time I write, and every one time someone says, Rabbi, Dr. Rib, Mimi. I laugh. It's funny. 
<laughs> it's funny. Now someone would think, what has she done in her life to walk around with so many titles? And what has she acquired? And what has she achieved? And for me, it's a it's a source of laughter because they're all they're all titles of what, right? What are they? Titles of of um, of bibliographies? Are they titles of Hasidic masters? Are they titles of my tears? Are they titles of of is, is it an acronym of all my students and my soul children? Like what are those three words? All the above. And and the flip is, and the flip is. Um, when you were quoting of Cook, right? What comes to me is Mode Ani and Ani Mamina. And when we wake up in the morning, and this is also connected to your first first question about this period, it's about gratitude. Hakaratatov. So I'm 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 holding on these almost it's a year now to because gratitude is what enables us to hold on to that which is ours and claim it and reclaim it. And when we wake up in the morning, we say, First is gratitude, and then there's acknowledgement of our selfhood being present in the world. And when it comes to belief, we, the phrase we use is, Ani ma'amina. And I feel that there's an invitation, and that's connected to your first question. I think that I feel that there's an invitation that our belief systems are systems and constructs that don't um, obliviate our sense of ani, mm-hmm. but actually enable us to stand mm-hmm. in the face of the world with that which we believe. We don't say, like in the morning, first we say, modani. We don't say ani moda. Nachon. Moda ani. The very first word, thank you. Gratitude. Yeah. And on the other hand, when it comes to our faith beliefs, ani ma'amina, not ma'amin ani. Rambam could have, in his 13 principles of faith, said ma'amin ani, ma'amin ani, ma'amin ani, but it's ani ma'amin, ani ma'amin, ani ma'amin. So how do we walk? Coming back to your first question, right? It's a question of, You've answered the question in your unique, wonderful, inspiring way. I never thought of it that way. And both are different aspects, different dimensions of going deep inside and really, to quote Rob Cook, being faithful faithful to that relationship with with God. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I know the second question is really, and as a friend, I already know this is going to be difficult because you're, you're such a scholar. And I'm not saying it as a compliment, it's just an acknowledgement. You've been learning and learning and learning for years and decades. What is your go-to, your favorite go-to Torah teaching, if you can really limit it to one, that expresses your personal sense of your Jewish identity. Best. Can you, here I'm going to buy time, can you read the question again? Oh, yes. Like, so you can think. Yeah, you know, so listeners, as you know, I've mentioned uh, in different, different podcasts, some of the people with whom I've been blessed to be in conversation with see the four questions before. Others don't. 
So Reb Mimi has not seen the four questions. So this is, she's hearing this for the first time. This is as spontaneous as spontaneity can be. Here's the question again. Yes. What is your favorite go-to Torah teaching that expresses your personal sense of your Jewish identity best or most? Wow. <laughs> my Jewish identity most. Yeah, your sense of... I understand. Yeah. Okay. My Jewish identity most. I'm going to say about five times. My Jewish identity most. I have to say, yeah, I don't like the question. <laughs> now, I want to say, why don't... It's not that, it's not that I don't like the question, right? Um, it's, a, it's a question that challenges me because it's like asking me to choose one of my favorite children and asking me to choose one of my favorite teachers. You can't. And I can't. And I can't, right? Because I love them differently. And I love, and, and um, what I can say is that, you know, when you have um, a library or when you have um, a family, then you know that for, and you have a bouquet of friends and soul siblings, then you know who to turn to for different moments in your life and that respond to different needs. Yes. So that's why, um, you know, my image is, is that of, 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 a, of, a, of a basketball team. Like, who's my chamishia potachat? Like, <laughs> who's my opening five, right? And then there's the ones that I have on the bench that I, can, that I can rely on when I need to pull them in as well, right? So... Um, so what's so, teaching? So that's what, what so teaching? so that's what I want to so that's what so that's what I, I want to say. Um, so here's a, a it's a teaching that um, that really is um, here. So how do I live without Rabbi Yitzchak and how do I live without the Meashiloch and how do I live without the Mo'orinaim and how do I live without the Pesach Merebe and right. So whoever whoever I'm gonna write whoever I pick it's right without the others the others they're, they're like, you know what's gonna happen like I'm gonna get all these phone calls from the Rebbe's on the other side they're gonna say and me and me and me and me and me <laughs> like not happening so that's why I'm really hesitant um, and it's it's um, well maybe give a Reb Mimi teaching so just Reb Mimi I always always so here I'll, I'll here I'll say uh, two memory teachings, um, okay. Okay. And I'll also bring from the Rebbe's. So <laughs> I always tell my students whenever they they feel that there is a they hear themselves saying something self-deprecating. So I tell them here's the mantra. Reb Mimi lo marsha. Reb Mimi doesn't let. <laughs> right. Whenever whenever they hear themselves with a self-deprecating. Comment and feeling like the way to negotiate is Rabbi Milo Moshe. That being said, um, the Ma'oi Naim and 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 the Nativot Shalom together, they speak of what happens when we fall. 
Could you just um, um, say a word or two about each one of well, them? When, so the listeners have an appreciation for when each lived. Like yes, sure. So the Maori name uh, is lived from 1730 to 1797, known to be the youngest student of the Baal Shem Tov, quotes him in, in multiple places. Depending on where you are in the tradition of the Hasidic lineages, you will position him differently. So, for example, there are those that say that he was actually in the forerunning to be the successor of the Baal Shem Tov, and sold the Pinchas of Kortz was was sorry that it wasn't him because that way he could he couldn't say that he was a Talmud, a student, a disciple of the Ma'ol Inaim. Um, and for me, he's the one of the greatest gifts that we have to to observe and to learn and to to really understand how we move from Kabbalah to Hasidut. So if someone really wants to understand how we move from the Kabbalistic library into the Hasidic library, the Ma'oli Naim for me is the, is the number one bridge mm. and the number one translator and decisor of the tr- mm. transition between the worlds. And the, um, the Netivot Shalom is a contemporary. He left the world in, uh, in the summer of 2000. Quite and recent. That's very contemporary. Yes, yeah. yes. And I actually merited to see him. I merited to uh, to go on Lel Shabbat to the Bet Midrash, Sloan uh, in 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 Geula and Me'asharim actually, and to uh, to see him at a tish, and I went back to watch him do Hadlakat Nirot. So he's actually one of the Hasidic rebbes that I opened my eyes to see versus so many that I had to close my eyes to see. Mm. Right. Oh, let's just hold that for one moment. He's one of the few rebbes you had to open your eyes to see where all the other rabbis, you had to close your eyes to see. You see, listen to this, why she's my teacher? Oh, okay. So the Boa Varebe, also I merited, I merited to see, right? And um, I'd go, the years that I would um, fly to New York to be with Reb Shlomo for the Chagim, I'd also... Reb Shlomo Kovach. Reb Shlomo Kovach. Um, I'd also go with Rabbi Salmon Trader. He would take me to Borough Park and to Crown Heights to see the Rebbe's in their sukkah, and then always, always, always in the morning, we would go to the Baba Vareba to see him do Na'anuim, to shake the, mm. uh, the lulav and the drog, the albaminim. And I always felt that um, when I saw the Baba Vareba shaking his albaminim, and he would walk around, he would go so, so deep down. His body would fold into itself so deep down. And on the a flip, when Reb Shlomo Karbach, when he would, Reb would do, shake his albaminim, his hands would go so high up, right? And it was this gift of being able to see one master who literally sacrificed his family in the Shoah and lived through it and then and saved by forging documents. And so he saw with his eyes the depth of the darkness. So when he took those four species and he went down, you know that he was cleansing. He was cleansing that darkness. And Reb Shlomo, he, his hands, right, he, thank God, escaped and didn't see. He lived it but didn't see. And his hands went all the way up to the heavens to storm heavens on their behalf and to storm heavens on our behalf. And between the two, right, um, between the two, and maybe this is a story and it's also connected to your question, right, there's a, there's a story of, um, is it okay to tell a story? Of course. It's definitely okay. So it's a story about the um, Parmishlana Rebbe that there were... Which um, Rebbe? Rebbe of Parmishlan. Um, we've, trans- we've transported ourselves a little bit, another 50, 50, 60 years forward. 
from the Mo'oinayim, and I haven't forgotten the Mo'oinayim and the Tivot Shalom, but they're connected. So the Parashalama, there's a story of these, um, these um, two, I call them, I don't use the phrase mitnagdim, right? In the Hasidic world, we talk about Hasidim and mitnagdim, right? The, right? But it's like you walk around creating a whole constellation of people that are called against or anti, so I call them Hasidically challenged. You know, I learned I learned in the 16 years that I was teaching in Los Angeles that um, that, um, that we have challenges now. Challenges. We're all challenged. You know, people aren't sure if they're 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 vertically challenged or they're right. They're, right. Like all these things. People aren't overweight. They're horizontally challenged. I mean, we have all these challenges now. So. And you can have multiple challenges. You can be vertically and horizontally challenged. It just means you're a big person. Okay. So that's how it works. So now, wait, I don't have Hasidim and Mitnagdim in my life. I have Hasidim and Hasidically challenged. So they're in the Bet Mizrash in Permishland, and, and the Hasidim are talking about the, the wonders of their Rebbe, and there's a, a, a couple of Hasidically challenged people that I don't exactly know why they're there, but they're there. And they start ridiculing their Parmishlana Rebbe. And whatever the Hasidim say, right, they say, oh, we can do that, oh, we can do that, oh, we can do that. One of the things that the said the Rebbe does is that the Rebbe, no matter what, what day of the year it is, he always goes to the mikvah in the morning. So winter, summer, always. These Hasidically challenged uh, gentlemen decided they were going to follow the Rebbe and they were going to prove that everything the Rebbe did, they could do comes the morning, and it's winter, and the Rebbe goes to the bank of the river, which is ice, and he goes down the bank of the river, and he digs a hole in the ice, and he goes into the mikvah. Oh my gosh. And he comes out, and walks up the bank. Now it's their turn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they take the first step at the bank of the river, and they go sliding, because of the ice. The Rebbe, he walked down, right? They go sliding. They make, right, they have the hole, that the Rebbe immersed in. They go into the mikveh. They come out. They try to walk up the bank. It's ice. They keep on slipping. Oh my gosh. So it wasn't until actually people went out to the market they actually found them shivering, oh. and uh, uh, almost at the at the end of their lives. And they bring them in and they put them in front of the fire and warm them up and bring them back. And they said, "Okay, now, what happened?" Whatever the Rebbe did, we could do. But in the morning, he got to the bank of the river, and he went down, and he dug into the ice, and he went into the mikvah, and he came out, and he walked up again. And we, the first step we took, we slide down, and we can't take the first step up. And their response was, if you're connected above, you don't fall below. If you're connected above, you don't fall below. And the Rebbe was connected above. So he could walk down and walk up without slipping. Mm-hmm. And that, and I heard that teaching from, uh, that story from Rabbi Shlomo, and this so haunts me and holds me. If you're connected above, you don't fall below. Now that being said, the Ma'ori nine. Throughout the Ma'oi Naim, talks about this concept of nefila, of falling. And the question is, what happens when we fall? You know, I'm going to date myself for a moment. Um, so it's really, really bad. What can you do? 
So if there are those of you who remember the Partridge family, <laughs> right? Shirley Jones, David Cassidy, like if you remember the Partridge family, they had a song. Why has the music stopped? Where did all the happy people go? I know they were there. Songs everywhere, only a moment ago. Mm-hmm. And that sits with me in the realm of spirit. It sits with me in the realm of tefillah. We can be davening. So inside our davening, we can be in, in, in a moment of personal prayer with the divine. of And one minute we're so connected and then all of a sudden, we're out in left field. We're, and and it, it's, a, it's a blink of the eye. Right? It's a blink of the eye. And how'd that happen? And then I hear the song, well, how, why did the music stop? Where did all the happy people go? I know they were there. Songs everywhere, only a moment ago. So we ha- so for the only nine, he tells us this inevitably is going to happen. When Moshe Rabbeinu says, I can't come and go, and that's why I'm leaving. He says, because I can no longer fall. Falling is human. It's part of, it's inhaling and exhaling. Imagine that we could only inhale. Imagine that we could only exhale. We need, and the pauses in between our inhale and our exhale. That is our human condition. When we stop, that's called what people call death. Right? And the kiss of the, the death of the kiss of death is when the master of the world, the one and only, when she inhales our last breath. Because when we inhale, we're inhaling the breath of life that God exhaled. And we exhale, God inhales that breath. Mm. And we're inhaling and exhaling continuously. When we cross over, that's the moment when God inhaled our last breath, our exhale, and doesn't, and doesn't surrender. Mm. I remember when my, my, my aunt that you met, my Aunt Shula, um, she took, thank God, what a gift of life, she took her last breaths in my arms, literally. And I remember the space between the last breaths, it, it enhances and it grows and grows and grows. So sometimes you don't know if that last breath is actually the last breath or there's going to be another one. And I remember, and I remember the transition in my prayer from praying for her to inhale one more time, shoo, inhale again, inhale again, until the moment, the pause be- between the last, those last two breaths became so great that I realized that I shifted my prayer to God, exhale, exhale, God, exhale. Don't hold that breath. And I moved from Shula to inhale to God, God exhale. Because I realized he was holding on to her last breath. So the Ma'ori Naim, the Chonobu Rebbe says, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, Lo uchal od I can't come and go, I can no longer fall. It's like saying, I can't exhale, I can only inhale. Or I can't inhale, I can only exhale. We need both. And the question is going to be, when we fall, what happens? Right? That phrase, to fall in love, who falls in love? Why are we falling in? Why are we not ascending to? Or ascending in? in Rising in, ascending in, falling in. 
because it tells us that we're going to fall in that love. Yeah. We're not always going to be in love. Right. Sometimes it's going to be a fall. And that's with people, that's with ourselves, and that's with God. And the only question is, or the question is, what do we do in those moments? Mm. How do we relate to that other? How do we treat ourselves in those moments when we fall out of love with ourselves? How do we treat ourselves when we're not in love with ourselves? And how do we treat our friends and our colleagues and our family and our students when that love, something happened? And what do we do with God in those moments as well? When we fall out of love with God, when we are angry at God, when we hate God, when we resent God, when we want more or other from God, and what do we do in those moments? And for the Ma'oli Naim, he teaches us that God is with us in those moments. God looks us in the eye when we say those things, right? So often, when it comes to shame, regret, pain, we lower our eyes because we're embarrassed, we're uncomfortable, we don't feel worthy of looking eye to eye. God comes back in the eye to eye. And the invitation the Mawanayim teaches us is that God is with us. Wherever it is that we fall, God will fall with us. God will come with us. And the hardest piece, the hardest piece to hold on to is to actually believe that God is with, with us, us in those yes. moments. Yes, yes. And that God wants us to look God in the eyes. Ein ein. Redemption comes from ein ein. Claim the pain, claim the anger, claim the resentment, claim the shame, claim the sorrow, claim the joy. But here we're talking about the fall, right? So claim those parts and to know there is not a part of our life that we are disconnected from the one. On the inhale, on the exhale, in the pause between the two, in our wake life, in our dream life, there's never a moment that we're disconnected. The Tivot Shalom, fast forward, of fast several, forward, several decades of a century, right? Okay. Fast forward from the age, from the end of the 18th century to the literally the first, the first days, months of the 21st century. The Ritivot Shalom is, we have different ways of relating to those moments. He quotes the Pasuk, Right? Psalm 91. He will call and I will answer. I am with him in his suffering. I will redeem him from there and I will honor him. And the Nitivat Shalom, he says there are two different ways of calling out to God. One is, Ikra'eni. He calls, Anel, I'll answer. There's a distance there. You call out, and from wherever it is you think that God is, from that place, from that location, from that state of being, from that consciousness, from that place God will respond. Well. That, though, holds on to the sense of the distance. The other is imon mm. That's connecting to the, to the Mo'inayim. Yes. If you believe that God is with you, then the kind of response is going to be achaltzehu, 
v'achavdeu. I will pull you up from there, and I will elevate you. It's like the string that's attaching. Correct, and that's and that's again that's the parmishlana. When you're connected above, oh. you don't yeah. fall below. And then coming back to your first first question of COVID, right? If we're connected above, we won't fall below. And how do we continuously hold on to that connection in this time that, again, is connected to the element of the lost objects and of holding on to? A lost object is a lost object as long as there's ways to identify the object and claimants to claim it. Yeah. Right? That is what the halakha teaches us, what defines a lost object, an aveda versus a mitziah. A lost object versus a found object. It's lost as long as there are claimants to claim it and there are ways to identify it. The Chernobyl Rebbe, he gives us, again, he'll tell us how do we, in, in our spirit, in our soul, we sometimes, we lose our state of being and how do we continuously identify it? How do we continuously hold on to it? Can we remember, for example, when we actually were in that elevated state? Sometimes when I'm working with people that are going through mourning, and there are transitions and there are stages in in, in mourning process, I'm not. I have to be honest. I'm not. I'm really not um, a major fan of the halachic construct of three days to crying, seven days to shiva, thirty days, and then eleven months, and then twelve months. Whoa, you know. And you know, I'm sure Elizabeth Kluwer Ross, may she rest in peace, would be happy to know that I can. I'll put her in the, in the same sentence along with my halacha commitment and say her five stages, you know, they're progression or they're cyclical or they're dynamic, again, right? These are, these are the halacha for three, se- three days, seven days, 30 days, right? And in between that, when actually society tells us that we actually need to be invited back into life, right? These are ways of the community protecting themselves in terms of sustainability of the community. But it has nothing to do with where our hearts, personal hearts, are. It can't. Right. Those those absolutes cannot govern the heart. Right. You know, I received a a, 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 a a message, not even an email, a message from one of my beloved students whose name will, will um, remain unmentioned, not because I don't want to be redundant to the world, but because I want to maintain their their privacy. Right. And they said, you know, it's been, it's been, th- you know, three months. Since my parents crossed over, right? Halakha tells me I'm supposed to be. I'm like, whoa, where's where, where are we? Where's your heart? Right? So Halakha is telling you who are the people that you can talk to for 30 days and who are the people you can't talk to for 30 days, after 30 days. Right? The Halakha tells you. There are some people that they're going to say, okay, after Shiva's over, the next day you're back at work. Shloshim's over, you're back at embracing if it's a spouse or God forbid or, or uh, right, or a child, God forbid, then after 30 days, you're, 30 days of mourning or you're, your mourning is over. Like that's what it, okay, but then you know, you know who to turn to that understands that no, no not, 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 no, not. Um, so the, the Chernobyl Rebbe says, do you remember when you were at that stage? And sometimes I use that and I ask someone, do you remember when you 
would sing. Do you remember that feeling when you sang before you went into mourning? Is that something that you can connect to again? Do you remember when you laughed and what made you laugh? Is there a joke that we can laugh together with? Mm, share together. Yeah. Right? So that claiming, that identifying. So that's my go-to. Oh. That's my go-to. That no matter where, if you're connected above, you don't fall below. Right? And I also want to say, and because it's, you know, I also sometimes, the Gemara teaches you need a joke every once in a while because it gets like really heavy, right? <laughs> so forgive me for a moment, right? And um, so sometimes I say, I, this Torah is, it sounds so profound, it sounds so holy, and it is, and it's, and it's comforting, and it gives me my ability to walk in the world and to continue forward when those hard moments are present. Um, and then I like to say, and also the truth of the matter is, I'm really very obnoxious. So if I'm suffering, God's going to suffer with me. If I don't know where I am, then God's going to be in that I don't know where I am along with me. Oh, like, I'm not doing this alone. alone. If the one and only, if she sent me into the world against my better judgment, I said, me not going there. And she said, yeah, going there. And then it's... This is it. It's a long-term right. relationship. It's a long-term. <laughs> it's a long-term relationship, and I'm not doing this alone. It's like the one place where God is like and that's my bat mitzvah parasha. And like this is it. We're, if if you're sending me into the world, then I'm not doing this alone. You hear that, listeners? You never have to do it alone. Actually, you can't do it alone. <laughs> can't do it alone. Okay, a third, so holding space for that beautiful, exquisite, inspiring answer or answers. I just love the way you weave, like you're sewing. It's like a tapestry from different places coming together. It's just marvelous. Okay, how do you see your role as a voice of change in the Jewish world and the world at large? What is your role? And you know you are a voice of change. Red Mimi is a voice of change. How do you see that, though? Like, what is the calling? Is it this returning this object or helping one, re, you know, find the, the lost and found? That's what I've heard you refer back to several times. Is there anything you can add to that? That your shlichut, your sense of purpose here, even though... You had, but in your better judgment, you didn't want to come into this world, but God said you're going into this world and you're going to create change. Yes. How do you see that? So, sewing. So, sewing. Uh, Here we go. <laughs> so, these are, these are the words that come to my mind, right? And if you ask me the question tomorrow, I don't know what I'll say, but right now. Translation, recycle, weave. When I grew up, I was born in the Bronx, or I, I, I usually I say I um, was born in the Bronx, made in Israel. Is actually how I define myself. Born in the Bronx, made in Israel. Yelidat America Totzeret Aret. And 
what that means is my parents decided to make Aliyah when I was two years old. What a gift. What a gift. And they made Aliyah when I was eight, which means I grew up bilingual, knowing that America was temporary. Like, no vacations going to Israel. Daddy works on Sunday going to Israel. Everything was going to Israel. Um, and what that also meant was being bilingual meant that I never understood how people that only know to speak one language understand what it is they were saying. So I would, at times, I would watch television and I would, and I'd watch an episode of whatever it was, Marcus Welby, MD, um, the bold ones, uh, LA Law going forward a decade, right? Whatever it is, and I would watch a scene and say to myself, how do they know what they're saying if they don't have a language to translate it to? I know, I know a sefer is a sefer because I know a sefer is a book. And I know a book is a book because I know a book is a sefer. But if you only can say the word sefer, or if you can only say the word book, how do you know that book? You can't define anything it by means, itself. <laughs> it means what we know as a book. And soul and body work continuously. So I want I I I I want to say that um, that I feel that I'm continuously in translation. And and what I'm offering is people to um, live continuously in translation. I love that. Now what that also means is that. that we need to be translating from multiple languages. So Hebrew and English are my native tongues, right? And and I took. Yiddish at the university, so I would have a piece of that. But we know, for example, different cultures are experts, and different languages are experts for different vocabularies. So I need the Eskimos to tell me about snow. snow. Now, it's true that I have tal, and I have geshem, and I have matar, and I have shelig, and I have anan, I have five different, you know, I have snow and I have dew and I have rain and I have rain cloud. I have, and I have ocean and I have, but I only have shelig. I only have snow. So being uh, being a, um, a school translator means that you have multiple dictionaries, or you have connections with people that speak multiple languages. So I want to say that, on the one hand, what I offer is an invitation to be in translation. The other is the word that you used, and is often used in my regard, is the weaver. And the ability and the invitation to weave multi-generations, multi-traditions, Midrash, Agadah, Chumash, Talmud, Hasidut, to weave them together, to invite them into dialogue. And I want to say, I, I think that I learned that um, from my teacher, Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, meaning to say that based on a teaching from, from, from uh, Rabbi Nachman, that the tzaddik, the righteous, um, lives in a continuous presence. There's no past, future, and present. There's only a continuous presence. And in Hebrew grammar, we have grammar. We have this hovemit mashich, the continuous present. And what that means is, when you teach from that place, is it's not two hundred years between the ma'olim naim 
and it's not 200 years right and it's not and it's not a thousand years between the between the the Naim and and the Geonim or the Midrash or back 1500 years it's back to the Gemara. It's, it's all in this moment and they're all in dialogue continuously so the weaving the weaving allows that mm. And then the word that uh, that came to me when I smiled when you asked the question, the word that came up to me was recycling. Because what does recycling do? It asks you and invites you to look at what you're looking at differently, to hear it differently, to experience it differently, to ask it different questions. Mm. Right, and one of my favorite stories I like to share is that um, once we were in the car together, my my Ima, got your grandchild good health, and my aunt of blessed memory, and we were in the car together. It was maybe four in the afternoon, and we were driving here in Yerushalayim. My mother pulls over. She goes into the green grocery, and she comes out with a head of cabbage and a bag of carrots. And my students know this story because I tell it all the time. And my aunt, who God bless her, thought that cooking was a tuna fish sandwich. She made really good tuna fish sandwiches because there is an art to tuna fish sandwiches. I just wanted to put it out there. <laughs> There's an art. But she thought tuna fish sandwich, that was, right? She looks at my mother, she goes, what's that? And I say, coleslaw. Now, it's not that my eyes didn't see a head of cabbage and a bag of carrots. My eyes saw a, a, a head of cabbage and a bag of carrots. That's but I know my mother... I know the time of day it is. I know we're having dinner, and I know how to make coleslaw, and I know that coleslaw is made of cabbage and carrots. So, and God bless Shula, loves my mother, but the kitchen, that wasn't her domain. So when she sees coleslaw, the decomposition of it to back to a head of cabbage and a bag of carrots, it's not happening. <laughs> But it also means that I have the ability, have the ability in the moment I needed to know what you do with the, what you do with them, what you can do with them. Because it could have been a cabbage soup. Also, it could have been a cabbage soup and carrot sticks. But I had to have the intimacy of both knowing what what can be done with them and knowing who my mother was to be able to do that. So what I want to offer, what I offer is that ability to reclaim our child like right it's told the wonderful experiment you give an adult a phone book what is it a phone book you give a child in a thousand page phone book and there's 20 hats and 20 plates and and 20 boats there's like a million things that you can do with a thousand pieces of paper versus us adults that we think that what you do with a phone book for those who remember phone books right is you either look up a phone number of someone that you know or you look up an ad for someone that you don't know but that's all you can do with it or you can use it as a doorstop that's beginning to recycle so that's what i offer that's what i offer is so you translate you sew you weave you recycle yes and 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 I reclaim God's presence in the conversation. That's a major change. One of my Talmudim. That's a major. Mitzvah camp. This is maybe I don't know ten years ago. And um, they asked me. He asked me. 
what should I teach when I'm in Siberia? First, I told the two of them, you're not going. Jews don't go to Siberia. I don't care that you're Americans with an American passport and this is, this is the 20th century and you'll, you have a round trip ticket to Siberia and back. <laughs> so first I said, I said, I grew up in the time of Sharansk, of Idenudel, right? Jews don't go to Siberia. That being said, I said, I don't know who you're going to be when you get there. So I don't know what you need to teach. And I don't know who they're going to be when you get there. And I don't know what they need to learn. So I can't tell you what to teach when you get there. There's one thing, though, I can tell you. I wouldn't leave Siberia without each and every one of them knowing that God loves them. That's it. I don't know what you're going to teach. I don't know what they need to learn. But I wouldn't leave Siberia without each one of them knowing that God loves them. Mm. If we have that, then we can endure everything and anything. Everything, yeah. When you feel loved by God. Oh. And again, it doesn't mean we're not going to fall in and out of that love as well. The gift of falling in and out of love with God is that God is the one that never walks away. We're the one. God is God is always with us. Mm. It's beautiful. And it's so true. <laughs> and now my fourth question. <laughs> yes. This is an A and B. Okay. What is your one ask? I know you don't like to be limited. <laughs> I've already gathered with the first three questions. Is that anything that... Uh, okay. I can change you can, okay. for a moment. What is a major ask of yours of status quo Jewish leadership, both rabbinical and educational? As an agent of change, as a person who translates and sews and weaves and reclaims, and there was one more... Um, Recycles. Recycles. Uh, putting all that together, wh when you look out at status quo Jewish leadership, rabbinical leadership, educational leadership, what is your one ask of them? Or a ask? One ask. To be courageous to let go of the status quo. <laughs> to be courageous to let go of the status quo that says it all. That says it all. And the other side of that, what is your one ask of status quo Jewish congregations and Jewish communities in general? The followers. Um, one of my students, Harapodet, was ordained last week. And um, students of the Beit Midrash, the Shechta Beit Midrash. And um, because of COVID, uh, the two students that are being ordained this year, each one is being ordained in a separate ceremony. Arav Oded was already ordained, and in Amirit, God willing, will be Harav or Haraba Amirit, God willing, within um, the next few weeks. And I shared, I have this gift of being the last person to address my students, both at Ziegler in LA and here at Shechter as well. Which is an amazing gift. Let's It's a it's a little a, a, a packet of spirit to walk with, and I shared with him that um, one of the one of the sections of the Talmud that I learned from my ordination was Masefet Erechin. It's a tract in the Talmud that no one learns, and um, but that's what Rav Shlomo asked of us. I literally have never cried so much over a daf Gemara, page of Gemara, as I did on that first chapter of Erechin, and. 
זה מסכת בגינס ווט דה וורד, הכל. everyone. הכל מעריכים ונערכים, נודרים ונידרים. ערך ונדר are different, two different ways, or two different terminologies, how to give an offering, bring an offering to the temple. One is a set offering based on age and gender. It's a very binary structure. And nedr is based on your value in the work market, which is already a challenge of saying how we bring offerings to the temple based on either a very binary description or value in the work market. Okay, so I'm already challenged there. That being said, the first word of the tractate is hakod, everyone. That's the Mishnah, everyone. The Talmud, the first two words of the Talmud are to include who? Because the Talmud is saying, thank you, Mishnah. When you say hakol, everyone, I know that in reality, it's a very exclusive and inclusive term simultaneously. So we need, in reality, whatever reality means, we need to unpack this hakol, So the Talmud says, La tu yeimai, to include who? So I ask the leaders for courage when letting go of the status quo. And I ask the communities, La tu yeimai, who are we asked to include? Wow, you're bringing, you're really bringing, you're bringing tears, you're bringing tears to me. And both need courage. And both need courage. And that's where we meet. And I want to say, believing in God, ask for courage. Allowing God to love us demands courage. And we can give each other courage. Yeah, that we can do. That we can do, right, listeners? That we can do. We can give each other courage. We all have it in one way or another. And if you don't think you have it, contact with Mimi. She'll help you find it. <laughs> we'll there. look for it together. We'll look for it together. We'll look for it together. Wow. I also need help oh, yeah. we, we all to do. find our courage, to connect to my courage. With Mimi, how do I say thank you? Modani ani mamina. Moda ani to you, to you. Thank In, you for walking together. Thirty uh, years of friendship. What a walk through the park. <laughs> yes, thirty years. In conclusion, uh, well, in conclusion, to this, how can listeners who want to follow up with you, how can they be in touch? Do you have a website? Do you email? Like, what are your amazing? What's your social media? <laughs> well, yes. So here's the thing. Honestly, 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 you can find me at Red Mimi. Feigelson at gmail.com or it's easier sometimes just to go look at RebMimi at yahoo.com. Yeah, I still, I'm very loyal, so, but it's the easiest, RebMimi at yahoo.com or RebMimi Feigelson at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. Okay. And the website that I'm smiling because I've been trying for the last six months to put together a website and, I, and as a weaver and a translator and a recycler <laughs> and, uh, right, Um, I can't figure out wh- what the website is supposed to look like. <laughs> That's part of the problem. Um, and um, the phrase, though, that I've coined for the website actually is 
describing myself as a godsmith. A godsmith. Right? We have a locksmith. We have different kinds of silversmith, a goldsmith, um, a godsmith. So the website, God willing, will manifest as a godsmith. Love it. And in the meantime, please uh, don't hesitate. Um, God, you know, the way in which I don't walk in God's ways is God answers immediately, sometimes, right? Um, Sometimes immediately, sometimes in long. Me, it takes me a couple of days. Um, But that being said, I, I I will respond. So right now, that's the best way to find me on Facebook. And then we can set up meetings. We can set up work together. We can set up pods of of clusters to work together. Those are all possibilities. And everyone, uh, my listeners, you can always be in touch with me also. I'll be able to email you any information you need. Yes, Rabbanit Iska, she knows exactly where to find me. (laughs) She knows. So, so thank you. Always. Uh, thank you. Thank you for was... bringing the Torah that you're bringing into the world, for bringing mm-hmm. it to the corners of the world where it's thirsty and looking and yearning to hear your Torah, to experience your Torah. Mm-hmm. The courage that with which you walk in the world is beyond words and worlds. It's beyond me. It's so big. I just dive into it and wherever it takes me, wherever the current takes me, that's where. And you have your community of listeners that are swimming with you and are walking with you and are climbing the mountains with you. Okay, so on that note, on that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful note, Mamash, um, I wish you all a wonderful couple of weeks getting ready for Pesach. You know, I'll just, uh, I'll conclude with a short teaching from my Reb, Reb Shlomo Kalbach one of my rabbis, who said, how do you know if, the, if when you clean for Pesach, if the chametz you're removing, the inner chametz, how do you know if you're really focusing on that? And you're also cleaning the physical chametz. He said, the more we clean ourselves out of chametz, the more energy we have to clean the physical chametz. But if we're focusing only on the physical chametz, we become so exhausted, we really don't pay attention to cleaning out the inner chametz. I remember when he taught that so many years ago. So I bless you all. I bless all of, all of us. That may we always prioritize, as much as it's important to clean the house of chametz, there's the house and there's the house. There's the external dimension of the house. And then there's the inner dimension of the house. So I bless you all as you focus first and foremost on